Occasionally, you will, like me, find yourself disagreeing with somebody about something. It happens. We can be talking about something and we just, uh, we just don't agree on the subject with which uh, we're having the discussion. Like, for example, Peter, why don't you just come on down the aisle? I was waiting for you to return. I was kind of biding my time here until you returned from taking Eva downstairs. You don't know what we're talking about, but come up here. Sometimes we have disagreements with people, and and occasionally it's over something really serious, sometimes not so serious. Like, for example, my friend here is a... (laughs) Sometimes, if you're ungodly, you smack people in the face when you don't agree with them. My friend here is a Canucks fan, I was going to say. Well done. And there are sometimes when we have discussions, because he's a Canucks fan, about things like, will the Canucks win the Stanley Cup? Will they go to the Stanley Cup finals? Those kind of things. Is that true? They will someday. Oh, someday. Well, that's true. Someday's a long time. Next year. Excellent. He has played right into my hands. Okay. This is true. Like, you would argue that way, wouldn't you? Like, and if, in fact, if I said to you, Pete, tell me why you think the Canucks might go to the Stanley Cup Finals next year. What would be some reasons? I don't know. I, you don't know? <laughs> okay, he has no earthly idea why you they really would... really want me to get into it. We don't have all day. Okay, well, just <laughs> give it your best shot. Go for it. So if you're better than the Flames, you go to the Stanley Cup Finals? That doesn't make sense. Does that make any sense? No. That's totally irrational. Keep going. There there have got to be some reasons why you would say that the Canucks would probably go to the Stanley Cup Finals if you're going to make an assertion like that in front of 250 people. They're they're at least in the top five teams in the NHL. Okay, so maybe from the top five you could get to the Stanley Cup Finals. That's fair enough. That's a rational argument right there. Okay, like they have a goalie who's not bad. Roberto Luongo played in the Olympic, Olympic team for the Canadians. Sometimes had some rocky games the way he sometimes does, but he did okay, right? Okay. Uh, there's the Sedin sisters. Okay. <laughs> Henrik and Daniel. Okay, they're not bad. Henrik, most valuable player this year. Yeah. Is that true? Okay. They have Alex Burroughs. Is there anybody else in the audience besides Peter who likes Alex Burroughs? Oh, no, he's terrible. I can't stand the guy, but okay. Okay, so sometimes you have disagreements with people. Peter's, Peter and I do disagree with this. And let's imagine for the moment that as Peter is discussing this, that I'm, I'm listening to him and thinking about his arguments. And, and after a while, like I'm just thinking, you got to come up with more than that, Okay. Like you're just, you're not doing as good here, Peter, at arguing for the Canucks as you need to. And so I might say to Peter, come on, give it to me. Like, let me have it. Show me. Make me think that the Canucks are as good as you think they are. Give me something. Like you can't stand here in front of these 250 people and give me nothing when I ask you a question like, are the Canucks going to come go to the Stanley Cup? And you think they are. You got to come up with something. (laughs) He's trying. And I appreciate that. Okay, very good. Thank you. Now, I don't think that the Canucks are going to go to the Stanley Cup next year, okay? I think Luongo's okay. I think the Sedin sisters are not bad, etc., etc. 
But I think that there would be some reasons why they might not make it. And I should be able to say to Peter, come on, give it to me. If you think you've got something good, then let me know what it is. Well, this summer, we're going to kind of do that. But it has nothing to do with hockey. I think that there are times when the world is saying to us, come on, give it to us. Tell us what it is that you think is so special about this Jesus. Like, what is it about your faith, Kelly, that you think is so tremendous that you're a Christian? And aren't there some reasons for not being a Christian? And aren't there some compelling reasons maybe you think we should be Christians? And I want you to give us those arguments. And this summer, that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend several weeks talking about kind of answering the question to the world, saying, this is what we've got. This is our argument. This is why we think that you should give Jesus Christ a fair hearing. This is why we think you need to open your ears. Open up your heart to the possibility of Jesus doing something in your life. Now, there are a couple of directions that this goes. One is, for all of us who are Christians, I think we would have to say, it'd be nice to hear about what I can say to those around me who don't know Christ. We have people around us who don't know Jesus. You work with them every day. I don't necessarily, but you do. And we have people around us who badly need Jesus. If they don't know Jesus, if they badly need Jesus, then we need to have something to say to these people and say to them loudly, maybe, at least clearly, with humility and love and respect, but also with conviction. This is why... We confess to be Christians. So that's one direction. I hope that we can hear some things like that, that we have to say to those around us. But the second thing is, as I said here at the beginning, there is somebody here this morning who doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I I almost guarantee it. I'd be shocked if there's not. And for you this morning, if you don't know Jesus as Lord, we want you to know that we find the message of Jesus compelling. We think there are great reasons for a person like me to stand in front of a group of people and say, Jesus is Lord and you should take him as your Savior and Lord as well. You also should be forgiven of your sins and allow Jesus to come into your life and live in you. We feel like there are some compelling reasons for saying that to a group of people. So, in real life... No matter how hard he tries, Peter is not going to be very convincing with the whole Canuck argument thing. Okay? Granted, crowd? Do I hear some amens out there? Some strong affirmation? At least from most of us? But also in the real world, there are some compelling reasons for thinking that Jesus is Lord. And... For a person accepting that truth and allowing Christ and his spirit to live in their heart in a way that changes for them everything. Would you pray with me? 
Holy Father, we do thank you today that you've given us the privilege, the blessing of having heard the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that you have worked in our lives, that you've changed us, that you have lifted us up and made us your children. But God, there's a world out there that sometimes does say to us, bring it on. Tell us what you've got. Show us Jesus in a way that's compelling. And Lord, we want to. We want to show you to the world in a way that's compelling. And we pray that you would help us to do so. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen. I want you to turn to John chapter 10 in your Bibles, please. That's on page 759 in your Pew Bibles, if you're looking at Pew Bibles. John chapter 10. And then I want you to look at the screen and look at this. There are about 34 million people in Canada. About one-twentieth of which, about 5%, suffer from significant depression, clinically diagnosed depression. That means that one out of 20 people that you meet, if you walk down the street, supposedly, is going to be clinically depressed. And I think that the gospel of Jesus has something to say to those people. Now, I recognize that with clinical depression, there are things like chemicals within our bodies that sometimes need that, that uh, maybe an imbalance of chemicals or something needs to be addressed with medication. There are times when that's definitely the case. And I'm not necessarily talking about that this morning. I'm talking about people who look at life and are just depressed by life. And what I want to say this morning is that I think the gospel of Jesus has something to say specifically to those people and to a whole host of others. We have in Canada about 25 or 35 percent of the population that would say they are generally unhappy, with about 5 percent of the population being significantly unhappy to the point of being depressed, as I just said. I actually looked this up. There is an organization that for 30 years now, since 1980, has been specifically specifically, uh, doing research on the question of happiness among the nations, asking what nations are happiest in general. There are 6,000 articles and books that have been published in which research has been done evaluating the question of happiness among the nations, and this group has focused on that 6,000 pieces of information. So they've gone through literature, 6,000 pieces of articles, books, evaluating the studies that have been done on happiness within the world. And in looking at Canada, the research over the last 30 years in Canada says this, there's about 25 or 35% of the population that would say that they are generally unhappy. Now I actually find that interesting. Like usually when somebody comes up and they're going to quote statistics, you'd want, the, you know, you'd want me to say 90% of the people are unhappy or something, so that we can talk about how Jesus is going to meet that need. Well, this is actually, I think, far more realistic. We have a sizable segment of the population, about one-third or so, that would say, we are not happy. Now, they categorize people in terms of being quite happy, or very happy, quite happy, happy, and unhappy. 
Well, that's a significant portion of the population that is going to say something like, we are unhappy about one-third. And I would think that given everything that I know about Jesus, that there is something about my faith in Christ, my understanding of what it means to be a Christian, that has some kind of answer to give to those people. And so I've mentioned already today that there could be somebody here this morning who doesn't know Jesus as Lord. And it's possible, because the percentage is so high, that not only are you not yet a Christian, it's possible that when you look at your life, you would say, I kind of fit into that one-third. My life is not necessarily so happy. And what I want to say to you this morning, with sincerity and love and compassion and hopefulness, is that I believe with all my heart that were you to give Christianity a fair hearing, And think seriously about who Jesus is and what it is that he's done for you. That Jesus, unlike any other force in our world, has the opportunity, because of who he is, to change you and shape you and move you from being one of those one-third unhappy ones into those who find in Jesus something so real, so wonderful, that it changes your life. And and there's a passage here in John chapter 10 that says exactly what I'm talking about. Look at John chapter 10, verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it, he says, to the full. And when he says, I came to give you life to the full, he's talking about something rich and wonderful and an exciting life that we can live before Christ. And I think that, in fact, Jesus takes us right out of that one-third and moves us into the good life that we have, the abundant life that we have in Jesus. Now, a couple of things about this passage. Notice he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. We believe, as Christians, that there is an evil force in our world and that he impacts lives. The way for someone to move in life from this one-third to a place where Satan doesn't have that kind of impact, where he steals life from us and kills life in us, is for us to come and to know Jesus. The other thing I want you to notice, it says specifically in the pasture that in Christ, we come in and go out and find pasture. What a great symbolism for what it means to live life in Jesus, where the gate is open. Christ himself is the gate. He opens the gate, and we go in and out of the gate with him leading us in and out of that gate. And as he does, we go in and out and find all that we need, he says, for life. All the grass that we need, all the wonderful sustenance that is ours in Jesus provides for us life. It's a beautiful picture of the abundant life that Jesus wants us to have. So that was John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. Now I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, page 857, I think. I actually looked at this in the Pew Bible there, and I think I may have first got it wrong. Somebody maybe can tell me. It's either 857 or 858 in the Pew Bible. 857? Thanks. 
First Peter chapter one, verses three through nine, and this is a this is a great passage for several reasons that I'm about to tell you. Look at this, verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now what he says is, we have incredible blessings that have come to us in Jesus. Then he says, look at the next verse, verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And he goes on and talks about some of those trials. Then look at verse 8. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Did you see in both verse 6 and verse 8 this notion of an inexpressible and glorious joy that he says is ours in Christ? Now, the language there is wonderful because it doesn't just say uh, we should be mildly excited about being Christians. When Paul uses words like a glorious and inexpressible joy, that word comes out in Greek just as well as it does in English as the English translators try to communicate something there. And the word there is being used for when the, the priests would have a chance to go into the temple and once maybe in their lifetimes go into the tre- temple to serve the Lord. And so they had been waiting all this all their lives as Jewish priests for an opportunity to go into the temple and serve. And suddenly their family, their clan, their tribe, their um, even narrower than the tribe, right down to their family unit, gets chosen as the group that will go in and serve the temple. And when they do, there is great exultation among the family. Because finally, after years, generations of waiting for the opportunity to go in and serve in the temple, it's now their time. And then... This word is used specifically for when they actually enter the temple. They go into the temple to serve God, and as they do, they sing. And this word, both in verse 6 and in verse 8, is the word that's used to describe the joy that they experience as they enter the temple to serve the Lord. Can you imagine... There was nothing more holy, more wonderful, more sacred, more meaningful for a Jewish priest than to have the opportunity to go into the temple and serve the Lord. And they have been, in many cases, waiting for decades, all their lives, for the opportunity to go before God and to serve. And now the day has come, and they rejoice. With an inexpressible and glorious joy, They sing praises to God. And that is the word that's used here to describe what we as Christians have in Jesus. And so it's pretty hard for me to think about us coming here the way that Colin described earlier in kind of a stoic way, not particularly enthused, not necessarily unenthused, but just kind of neutral about coming to serve the Lord together. 
It's hard to imagine that in the life of somebody who really understands what it is that we have in Jesus. You can't come here, folks, on a Sunday morning and be neutral. Because Jesus has done something wonderful in giving his life for us that we might live. And those of you who don't know Jesus this morning, you need to understand that this gift of life that we have in Jesus is exactly the thing that can fill your life and change your life and make it everything that God intends it to be. And so am I excited this morning about being a Christian? Even more than a great big Yahoo! Because Jesus has done something for me that brings out in my life that kind of exaltation when I recognize that I have in the Lord, what I have in the Lord. I don't know if, uh, if many of you heard in the last week the name of Alan Cruz. Anybody here? Alan Cruz? You might know the story. In the last couple of weeks, Alan Cruz took his own life. He was a fisherman from the area around the Gulf. And when the blowout happened and the oil began to spread and everything, it sent Alan into a tailspin. Almost always, suicide is related to depression. And he took his own life in response to the oil spill because he felt as though this has ruined my livelihood. This may sound callous this morning, and I don't in any way, of course, intend it to be. But I would like to think that if something took away your livelihoods, if I would like to think that if something took away my way of life, that my solution to that crisis, and I recognize the profundity of the crisis, I know it's real and deep. He obviously felt it so deeply. But I would like to think that if that happened, that somehow there would be something there to sustain me through the crisis. And I'm absolutely convinced with all of my heart that what must sustain us all is what we have in Jesus Christ. There is another person, Nicholas Voytich, who our teenagers a few weeks ago were fortunate enough to be at YC and to have an opportunity to hear speak. If you were to ask the teenagers who was the best speaker at YC, it's very possible that Nicholas Voytich would be the one they would say is most significant. I think he probably had some impact on the lives of some of our teenagers. He's a special individual. He's special in that Nicholas was born with no arms and no legs. And as our kids watched him, they saw him on a table about this high. And they saw him go back and forth on that table and preach and share his life. 
And what he preached about and what he shared about his life was that life was a lot more than just arms and legs. And that there is so much more that human beings can do because God is working within them than what they think. And circumstances come into our lives and we think, how am I ever going to get through this? Well, how would you like to have no arms and no legs and have to get through that? And he makes the statement. He says that the reason he's able to deal with his circumstances is for one reason and one reason alone, and that is because Jesus is in his life. God has blessed him with a hope and a joy, with a future that goes so far beyond what the average person could ever possess. Because God has blessed him through his trials and his circumstances. And joy, profound joy, is really his. And so I don't know what it is that you're facing today. I don't know the circumstances that are confronting you. In some cases, I have no doubt, but that they are way more than I would ever want to bear. But I hope, I pray, that you, in your life, have the source for real joy that Jesus Christ makes available to all of us. If you're, if you're not a Christian, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, I want to encourage you to consider Jesus as the one who, in, sub, in subsequent weeks, we'll look at different things, but this morning, as the one who offers to the world joy and a peace which can be ours, which goes beyond anything else, that you'll ever be offered. And if you want to talk about Jesus, if you want to find out more what it means for you to know Christ in your own life, then I encourage you, come and grab me after today and say, Kelly, I want to know about the joy that you have in Jesus and that I, I think you said I can have too. You can have it. And I'd love to talk to you about that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the one who provides us with joy. And it's not just superficial. God, you keep, you keep pouring it out over me. You keep filling my cup. You keep giving me joy despite myself. And whatever circumstances I face, God, you just keep taking me through those. And providing me with your joy. And so Father I pray that every person here this morning. Would be filled with your spirit. And the joy that comes in knowing Christ. And help it Father not for a moment. To be shallow in us. But to be deep and profound and abiding. As we accept you fully. And as you transform our lives. Thank you for being the God who provides us with joy. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen.